All right, so now the chat should be popular. They're not the chat, but we have people populating. Welcome everybody. And this is where we do the uh, little chit chat about JVL's partially completed Death Star. Hello, everybody. Take a look. I will have all of you know that when we popped on into the green room, Benjamin Parker is so young that he looked at that and said, what is that thing? Is that a, is it a Star Wars? What is it? And he was not just trolling me. He's so, he's such a baby. He, he doesn't even know about what the Death Star is. How is it you're getting married? Are you allowed to get married? You're too young. You're what do you baby. mean I was not just trolling you? When am I ever not trolling you? Well, it seemed like you were trolling me. All right. <laughs> That's all I've got. Hello, it's Timothy. Him. Hello, Will. Welcome. Will, welcome. Oh, Please yeah. Look at that. Bar. Thank you. Look at that. <clears throat> Will, the uh, slate, I guess you don't just don't get graded that that well, that harshly on your backdrop. You know, no room, <laughs> no effort put in. I don't see any uh, plants or sconces. I'm more. I'm or gonna battle stations. Battle I'm, I'm going to hire or beg Tim to give me some advice about what to do for a backdrop. I'm, I got a room in here that I just cleaned out. I was telling Ben, I've just pulled all the books off the bookshelf. I need to put something probably on that wall in the background and turn this whole thing around. I was, I commented that, you know, Will pulled all the books off his bookshelf because, you know, he didn't want us to intimidate us with his erudition and, and, and deep reading. Smart. So, my, my fiance spent a lot of time with this whole setup behind me. We've gone through several iterations and I keep on trying to explain that behind the size of my head, no one will be able to see it. It just all gets, speaking of Death Stars, I mean, it just all gets blocked. So I should be a pro bono consultant for everybody except JVL. I just, or maybe do an hourly rate kind of thing because... Yeah, you're, this is really bad for you, Ben. And you have one good thing behind you, but you're blocking it. And instead, you're showing off a hideous curtain and two, like, hospital doors. They're just, they're just door they're hospital doors. doors have those weird handles. These are just doors. <laughs> well, they're just regular doors. Color. Color is very pale. I have a color Yeah. Ben, where the heck is your fiancé in all this? You're supposed to be getting some advice, you know, about... A colors behind you. This, these were all her decisions, man. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I did not Boy, have a lot to do. With I'm available. I'm also available for wedding consulting. If you don't, it doesn't seem like you're. If you guys, just yeah, that's just what we up need. for that. So please, I'm yeah, we need everyone's opinion. If you have opinions on what we should do with our wedding, just put it in the chat. We will. Uh, we're, we're I don't really have opinions, opinions, Ben. I have solutions for you. You just come to me as a solutions man. I won't make it any harder on you. <laughs> All right, before I have an aneurysm, we can go ahead and get started. <laughs> Welcome everyone to a very special Thursday Night Bulwark. We are so happy you could join us because we have a new member here at the Bulwark. We have a new writer, uh, Will Salatan. Uh, we are so happy to have you. Folks, we are gonna do a special Q&A where Will is just gonna answer your questions at the end of this hour. So if you have questions for Will now, if you have questions for Will throughout, put them in the Q&A function at the bottom, and we will get to those uh, a little bit towards nine o'clock. Uh, for now, Will, why don't you introduce yourself to all the nice people? Uh, hi, I'm Will uh, Salatin, and uh, I, uh, I just uh, came on board the Bulwark on Friday, and um, I'm just getting to know everybody. Although, I can say one thing about this, which is, when JBL first came to me about coming to work at the Bulwark, I did a little research and my research was I sat down with hours and hours of Thursday Night Bulwark and I watched all of you guys because it's, it's a, the world's greatest chance to meet the people who would be your new colleagues. And I loved everybody and I decided this would be a great group of people to hang out with. So thank you. Thursday great. Night okay, Bulwark. so then you've already been prepped so then we can just give you the question. Name the best presidential year that any president has had since 1992. <laughs> we can finally, we can have an, a true Democrat answer that question now. Starting off with our all most the Republicans, popular All the Republicans answered 2002. So maybe you can offer a, a better year than, than George W. had. The best year? Well, best it, would have been, year. it would have been one of the Clinton years, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> Not since 2000. I thought that was the rule since 2000. Oh, I got a pick since I Yeah, I thought it was 2000. To, I was going to give him back to 92. 
You're oh, I'm going 1944. Best presidential year was 1944. No, it, again, as, as I said, the, the real answer to this then was 98. And uh, right, or no, 90, 98 or 97, I think, was my answer to this. But uh, yeah, but if it's much harder if you start at 2000. I believe, yeah. JVL, you said it was 95, because I remember thinking that it take... went downhill when I was born. Maybe. If you give me Maybe. from 2000, I'm going to have to take... Let's go 2000. Um, Sorry, I, I'll, I would take uh, the, the, the couple years that Obama had before the Republicans took over. So, so somewhere in there, two, I'll, take, I'll take the recovery years, 2009. Mm. All right, and just play, play along with us on this. didn't do anything Will. in 2009. Well, <laughs> Will, how many of those years, in the 22 years since then, how many years would you rate as being good years for the president? So years in which the president uh, generally made the world kind of better, at least you know, on his, even on his just on his own terms, because this is what, what we were getting at was that it's been it's been a long dry season for a generation here. I think that's true, and to me, it's less about the presidency than it is about Congress. So I would say there's been such a degeneration of Congress in terms of taking its responsibilities seriously. I mean, the one answer thing the question, Will. It's <laughs> a good answer. The man's right. Uh, it, it's it's really hard to be a president uh, against the Congress that behaves this way. So I, I'll have to think about what was the best of the many bad years. But there, I can't think of a particularly good one. I mean, the, you know, honestly, I have to go back to after uh, 9-11, right? 9-11 is when there was some solidarity between the branches and okay. Democrats being the nicer party. <laughs> We're willing to go along with George W. on some things. And so he got some things done in that time. Yeah, like well, No Child a... Left Behind, which was a rip-roaring success. <laughs> Actually, was that before 9-11? I can't even remember. Anyway, uh, all right. I wanted to start us off. We were talking about this a little earlier in our Slack. We're going to do, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, we're, we're going to do a little bit of gerrymandering talk because, where was this? The good people at the Cook Political Report are now saying that because the Democrats have been aggressive in uh, New York, Alabama, Pennsylvania, other places, and they've gotten some helpful court decisions in some of those states, and the Republicans have been a little bit more conservative in places like Illinois, New Mexico, and New York, the Democrats are now favored in the gerrymandering. Tim, I think you brought this up. You want to you comment on this? This is a, yeah, this I is a real shock to me. Uh, I do. I do. I'm just a little disappointed in Will that we brought him in. And as not a non-Democrat, I answered correct, the correct answer to that question. I've been the only one so far in all of these, which was 2011 when we killed bin Laden and got gay marriage. Uh, he didn't actually do anything else that year because the, because the Republicans <laughs> had taken over Congress, but the Republicans really looked dumb and did a lot of stupid brinksmanship. So it was like a good year for Obama despite he didn't have any like historic accomplishments. It wasn't like, you know, the, uh, the, you know, it wasn't as good as you know, some of the best years from the golden era. But Wait, Tim, people are saying in the chat, wasn't, wasn't Obergefell 2015? Am I, am, I, am I doing this wrong? Yeah, you're right. Obergefell is, Obergefell is 15. It was the year before both elections, wasn't it? 15 and 11. Look at me. I'm getting so old. I'm but forgetting. if you put them together, great year. You put them together. That was a great year. God, I'm getting my fucking, I'm getting gray hair. Okay. <laughs> I do know about, I do know about gerrymandering though. Um, there was, was something else good happened in, in the gay marriage year, right? It wasn't, it wasn't Bin Laden. I'm going to have to come back to this. Um, I, I'm getting, I'm having a senior moment. Um, uh, on the gerrymandering, I, I do I do think that this is a good example of this kind of something that we've been talking about that sometimes we get in trouble about uh, among among our fans, which is that uh, among the among the dem the greatest democracy threats that we have, gerrymandering sometimes gets lumped in with uh, a lot of very serious threats we face. And gerrymandering is great. There, there are a, a lot of things within gerrymandering that I don't like. I particularly, I hate the Utah gerrymander where you have, you know, four corners coming into Salt Lake City. So Salt Lake City doesn't get its own district. Like there are certain things that I just don't like aesthetically, all, drawing all the districts weird, I don't really like. Uh, but I think that there was a very deep concern that Republicans were going to be able to take advantage of gerrymandering this time and, and, and make the imbalance in the system much greater than it was. Turned out the Republicans had kind of maxed that out in 2010 in a lot of places. 
uh, and uh, the courts and Elias and some of those guys, the work that they had done has, has created, um, you know, in other places where courts have overturned Republicans' efforts to, you know, max out their, uh, their advantages more. So while Republicans will maintain a bias in, in the Senate, of course, or maybe a little bit in the House, uh, just because of the nature of our self-gerrymandering, which has nothing to do with the politicians, the fact that, you know, we're self-selecting and, you know, we have our system as a bias towards rural and ex-urban areas and Republicans are all gathering there. Um, the, the actual, like, hair on fire concern about gerrymandering this time turned the other way, thanks in part to just some absolutely brutal gerrymanders by Democrats in New York and Maryland and there's a third state I'm forgetting. So there you go. All right, well, we're gonna to come to you next. Thoughts of gerrymandering. Uh, were the Democrats right to stick it to the Republicans as hard as they got it? Or are you a fan of the sort of unilateral disarmament theory? Is this good? Is this bad? Is it neither? So I, I, I hate gerrymandering. I hate it because, I mean, the general problem that we have now is the, um, it's that it's it's so much harder to win a primary than to win a general election. And the, to the extent that gerrymandering make, facilitates that, it's bad, right? And we got to get control of it. Every time, though, every time I say that Democrats shouldn't play this game, all my liberal followers say, you know, no unilateral disarmament, right? And so here we have an illustration that, like, I, I would love to take sort of a Reagan approach to this and believe that by ruthlessly gerrymandering the democratic states, we might create some kind of incentive for Republicans to cut a deal. I don't know what that deal looks like exactly. As some people have pointed out, like even if you don't draw those crazy districts Tim is talking about, you've got such geographic sorting that you get some of the same effects, but we desperately have to find ways, including in drawing districts to pool people so that the general election becomes more of a fight. Um, and that's that's the only way we're going to empower all of the voters in the middle, which is most of the country. JVL, what is the gerrymandering equivalent of the Strategic Defense Initiative? That's right. I came to you with the Star Wars question on purpose. Yeah, the I mean, the SDI version of this is winding up with some sort of federal regulations that force everybody to play by some minimum. You can't set the equivalent rules, but you can set some sort of minimum standards. And I, I disagree with Tim. So this is not, gerrymandering is not a, gerrymandering is not a ticking time bomb the way that, uh, the way that the Electoral Count Act is, right? The Electoral Count Act is a ticking time bomb that is going to cause a catastrophic constitutional crisis at some point, possibly. Gerrymandering is much more like having poison leaching into the groundwater. And over time, what it does is it pushes both political parties away from the center, right? Anytime you make things less competitive in the general, then you are empowering the, the people in the majority party, whatever the, the place is, to go further and further out. Because in those primaries, then they're competing towards the fringes. Uh, that's bad at every single level. And I, I am not in favor of democratic unilateral disarmament on this, uh, because having one side unilaterally disarm is actually gonna make the problem worse, I think, at the national level, right? Then, then you're only empowering one side, you're putting the other side that's trying to, to do the right thing at an immense disadvantage. That's just, that's just bad politics. Uh, but it, I, un, unlike Tim, I think this is a, a very serious top level concern and is something that we just simply cannot get past uh, our problems. We can't fix things and return to something like normal unless we get gerrymandering under control. Okay, I have two things I'm self-correcting. It was, we got out of Iraq at the end of 2011. I knew he did, I knew two things happened at the end of 2011 that were good for Obama. And I knew that the year I, the year before the election was the gay marriage. So that, there's my mea culpa. Uh, I believe 2015 back. was the year we went back into Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and another good from the neocon perspective. So we got gay marriage and then back. Uh, anyway, um, you know, we had the 82nd Airborne going over uh, the uh, gay pride parade. Um, and uh, so that was nice. Um, uh, look, my pushback on JBL is this. 
I, I agree, right? Like if we could reconstitute this system and, and I think that we should, and like have Congress set some rules, I think about, about not breaking up communities. There are always problems with all this, right? If you make a rule though that says you can't, that, that there's, there's certain communities of certain size should have their own member, that messes up sometimes majority minority districts, right? Because you end up, you know, having a state where, uh, you know, a, a, a very heavily black, you know, community, you know, has a lot, a lot of the black vote into one district, right? So then you sometimes get pushed back from the left on, well, we shouldn't do it like that. You know, we should do it a different way. Yeah. So it's, it's always a little more complicated than you think. Um, but I, I, that's one thing I think that we should have. Communities should have their own, their own seat. We shouldn't have these stupid little squigglies to try to take out the Democratic or Republican part of a community. Um, the other thing I, you know, I, I think is that, is to your point, I think that to the extent that we could maximize competition in districts, that's good. Right. And I think that that would help the system on the margins. But again, the problem is, is that we've gerrymandered ourselves. Right. So Iowa has had the best system for ages. Right. Like it's it's completely court driven. The politicians are not involved with it. Um, you know, the nature of the state, you don't obviously there aren't very many black people. So you don't have to really worry about, you know, those sorts of the secondary considerations about, you know, majority minority districts. So they can just draw four districts uh, and most of the time they just cut the state into quadrants. Iowa ended up with Steve King. Why? Because Northwest Iowa is filled with fucking crazy people that didn't mind having Steve King as their as their representative, right? So, you know, I mean, like he was the craziest dude in Congress for a while. So, uh, you know, you can't gerrymander your way out of crazy. It's not a gerrymander problem. No, That's a what, people what problem. I, yeah, exactly. This is what I'm I'm being JVL. What I'm saying is you can't draw a system that's like, oh, we're going to get normal people, you know, and make sure that we have centrist people who are who care about comedy and debating between the both sides if we just drew the lines better. No, like the people want crazy fucking people. So that's the problem in, in a lot of places. And, and we're and we're drawing ourselves into communities of interest. So anyway, I, look, I, I do think that there should be some changes. I just don't think it's a catastrophic issue. And I think it's it's pretty far down the list, frankly, of the, of the democracy threats we face. Oh, this gets to our ongoing argument. As people are saying in the chat, you know, it's almost a chicken and egg thing. Are the people crazy because their crazy gerrymandered primary focused politicians are helping make them crazy? Or are the politicians that way because the people have gone crazy? It's impossible to say which one, right? You gotta jump the cycle at some point. It isn't impossible to say which one. It's the latter. But anyway. Okay. We need Sarah on. We need we unfortunately didn't invite Sarah on this week to be to to be the force of good and to talk about how leadership and structures would have, would, have, would have saved us the iron these, triangle of doom from, yeah from these horrible gonna break the people. iron triangle of doom yeah. uh all right any more thoughts on gerrymandering gentlemen all right our next topic since we have assembled this illustrious panel is going to be a feminist theory no i'm kidding we're not going to talk <laughs> we're going to talk about uh will you want to talk about uh some public opinion research you've been doing about january 6th and uh what people think about it Oh yeah! I'm, Please tell I, me it's good news. It's so depressing. It's just unbelievably depressing. Um, and 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 by the way, my I, I'm I think I think Tim was saying before that the people are the problem. Is that right? The, the latter was the people yeah. are the problem. Yeah. The people are the problem. <laughs> the people are definitely the problem. You're gonna fit right in. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So and because I've been looking at polls all day, trust me, the people are got serious issues. Uh, what people, what American, what Republicans believe is bad enough about January 6th, about election fraud, about, about uh, election reform, what, but it's not just them. It's what independents believe. It's what registered voters as a whole believe. I mean, the, you know, the stuff about the, the January 6th uh, committee, the investigation, the congressional investigation, the DOJ investigation, the prosecutions, so many people are just done with this. The, you know, caring about institutions and caring about prosecuting uh, this kind of, you know, prosecuting a coup that didn't work is just not a common concern. It's just not, you know, it's not a kitchen table issue. And it, I'm just becoming resigned to the idea that this is an elite concern and people like us are gonna worry about it and try to figure out how to make it a voting issue but I just don't see evidence that that's going to work much. And I, you know, Virginia is just an obvious case where it was attempted and just didn't work. Can I jump in and, and push back on this? Uh, I was I was listening to one of the Bulwark podcasts this week. I forget who it was. 
And they were talking about Biden's Supreme Court pick and how bad it was that, and I don't know whether it's Tim or, or Wills, one, I think it was one of you guys, how bad this polls with, uh, with people and that people don't like it and, and it could really hurt Democrats. And actually maybe it was Mona and Charlie is who I'm thinking of. And I just thought to myself, I'm sorry. I was reliably informed that uh, January 6th doesn't matter because it doesn't touch people's real lives. But now we're supposed to think that, that Joe Biden has stepped in it by saying that for this one job, this one job of which there is no ranking, there's no like, well, you know, we're actually picking the 13th best lawyer in America. Uh, this one job that is going to so offend people that they're pushing Democrats into the arms of Republicans. And I don't understand it because I actually think it's right. I, I think that we have this weird asymmetry of salience where for Republican voters, this affirmative action stuff that they're so exercised about uh, really does matter to them. And to 54% of the country, uh, January 6th does not matter to them. And I don't know how to get out of that. And maybe it's wrong. Because I guess what I'm saying is it's not hypocrisy. I think we've got this weird thing where, as you say, Will, People look at January 6th and, well, it's a kitchen table, foghorn, leghorn, right? And uh, but then they look at Joe Biden saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nominate a, a black lady lawyer," and and it's, but it's real. This thing is real, and I don't understand it. Is I don't have like a Star Wars character. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have these numbers in front of me, but I don't know if that's right. I mean, twenty twenty four polls are obviously at some level stupid, right? But like, there's a top level thing that you can learn, and and there was a twenty twenty four poll out earlier that was like, if you Joe Biden runs against Trump, Biden was again. I don't have in front of me. Let's say Biden was up say four, and then it was like, if Joe Biden runs against generic Republican. Like generic Republican was up like six. Like it, 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 there was a very a significant gap in in those in those two things. So I, I say that to bring up like what is the reason for that? Well, one is that like Trump is personally so crazy, and that you don't know anything about generic Republican. But two is like there are people for whom that this is not right that there aren't people. There are too many people for whom January six doesn't matter. <laughs> but it is not. But that is not also true that there is nobody for whom it matters, right? And there's not a significant portion of people for whom it matters because because there is. So I think that if you like, you're looking at numbers within, uh, you know, if you're looking at, I wasn't looking at the same polls Will's, Will's, Will was looking at, but if you're looking at a data of Republican voters and it's like fifty percent thought January six like wasn't great, but on balance pretty fine. 40% were like, hell yeah. And 10, 10% were like, that really made me mad. Like, that's an important 10%, you know, um, that said that really made me mad. And, and, and so, I, you know, I mean, I, I think that it is extremely depressing that there are, you know, what, what's 40% of 40%, many tens of millions of people who are like, January 6th, hell yeah. But, but there's a significant group to whom it matters. And, and I think that you're, the same point is true, JVL, about your affirmative action thing. I think that there's a, a significant minority group of people that vote for Republicans who get really upset about the identity stuff. And, you know, you can call them racist if you want. Uh, you know, maybe they have racial fragility or whatever, you know, white fragility or whatever it is that Robin D'Angelo says. But there is also a certain category of people for whom that like really matters. Maybe it, you know, um, it's the fact that they are upset that they're like teen isn't going to get into the high school that they wanted to get into and they're blaming black people for it. I don't, you know, I don't know, but like there, but that there is, you know, a, a relevant group that in both of those categories. All right. I'm going to put on my Sarah Longwell hat and my Sarah Longwell aviator glasses. And then I want you all to tell me why I'm wrong. Okay. It's true that most people's default position is not to care about democracy as a reason to vote a certain way, which is why for at, at crises throughout American history, and Sarah's written this for the Bulwark multiple times, presidents have made democracy an issue, whether it's making the world safe for democracy or whether it's a new birth of freedom or whether it's uh, you know the four freedoms that FDR had or, or, it's, uh, or it's, you know, Truman getting the country on board to fight the Cold War in the late 40s, we have had leaders 
who have gone to the American people and made the case that democracy as a thing should be politically salient to them. Is Biden trying to do that? I'm not even going to ask if he's succeeding because I think we all know the answer. Am I wrong that this is a kind of thing we should expect from our leaders? Am I wrong that this is the kind of thing that would have an effect? I can't tell who's giving me the meanest look right now, but uh, Will, you're smiling. We'll start with you. You're smiling. So Joe Biden did this for one day. He did it on January 6th, right? And it was great. It was the most animated I've seen Joe Biden, I think, the whole time, right? He clearly cares about it. And so why does he not talk about it on on other days? I assume it's because he's got people around him telling him, this is not what's going to move the needle for you. And it may be, you know, that speech came after Terry McAuliffe lost. It may be that Democrats are just so depressed by that result that they just decided that it didn't work, right? They view that the, the, the experiment happened in Virginia for those people. They think it happened. Now, maybe it didn't. Maybe, that, maybe there was a better way. Maybe at a national level, it could be made more salient. It may be that we have yet to experience the real experiment, right? What if what if we go into the 2022 elections and Democrats say, look, if you vote Republican, here, here's what they're going to do. Your Kevin McCarthy is going to be Speaker of the House. They're going to shut down this investigation. They're going to part, you know, there will be pardons when, you know, and maybe people will vote on that. And, and I appreciate what Tim said. And that's one reason, I mean, I come from a journalist background. I really like it when I talk to people who have worked in politics, because they're the ones who say, you know what, it may only matter to 14%, but those 14% can, can will decide an election, right? And so I would like to believe that the experiment hasn't happened yet, that it will, and that there will be enough people to swing the election. And you can argue that that did happen in 2020. I'm not convinced it's going to happen in 2022. Jim, um, you don't look, oh, Tim, go ahead. Yeah, I have, there's a big problem with your metaphor. I agree with everything Will said, so I'm just going to go back to picking on you, uh, Ben. Uh, there's a big problem with your comparison. <laughs> You're which picking is on Sarah. That I was being all, Sarah. Uh, sorry, Sarah, is that all of those examples you gave we're defending democracy against bad guys, them, foreign bad guys, other people. The Russians were trying to, you know, affect our democracy, or the terrorists were trying to affect our democracy, or in order to salute, or we need to go, get back to the freedoms that are your birthright in this country that you that you deserve as an American. This is different, right? Like this is trying. He has to try to make an argument that like the structure of our democracy is not sound. That is like an argument about America's weakness, not about going back to America's strength. He has to make an argument that, that the, the people who are a threat to our democracy are is Cletus down the, <laughs> we have a lot of Cletuses and uh, the Bulwark, it's Cletus down the street, not the Russians. I, I, it's just, it's a tougher, it's a, it's a much different I, I just don't think that it's it, that it's comparable to those other examples that you can give. That's not to say that he can't do be, do make the argument that he's making better, that it's not as clean. So what I, what I hear you saying is that Joe Biden is no Abraham Lincoln. He's I, not, or F, you know, or FDR or Reagan. Yeah. Hey, people in the chat, settle down. By the way, I don't like what I'm seeing. Um, Who's being who I, are they being mean to? What well, they're being mean to each other. Stop that. Um, look. I, the truth is we do have a segment of voters who are really, really up in arms about democracy and freedom. And they're the people who wanted a coup and the people who <laughs> refused to take vaccinations. This is, this, this is what I'm saying. Like when you talk about like, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get, what, what, Will, you're 14%, right? Like you know, maybe we'll get, four, that 14% is important. Yeah, but the problem is you got to balance that out because the 30% on the other side who are locked in on the same issue who, who dwarf them. And I, I just look at this and I think that there is a base level asymmetry in terms of the perception of salience. And that base level probably has something to do with educational levels. It probably has something to do with where you live. And so if you are a, probably has something to do with age. And so if you are, you know, a 70 year old white rural voter with a high school education, you are looking at the world in entirely different ways than a 45 year old uh, college educated person in the suburbs. And I don't know how to overcome that. And, And baked into all of this 
is that we have the original gerrymander, which is the United States of America, uh, which is, you know, I'm, I'm calling it a gerrymander to be cheeky, but that's what it is. And it wasn't done that way for any express purposes. It sort of grew up organically in that way. But what that does is it gives about a five point electoral advantage to the rural party. And that is five points in a polarized country is a huge head start. And I just, you know, I, un, unless the, the other part of the country, the 52% or so that uh, the voter run, unless those people start taking the world a little bit fucking seriously, then Joe Biden could be the greatest president in, you know, since, I don't know, FDR or something, right? And, and it won't matter. Yeah, because again, the people are the problem. I hate it when I think I give a 10 answer and then JVL gives a 10. It turns out I just gave an eight and a half. It pisses <laughs> me off. Anyway, you know, so we're going to move on to another happy topic. Yeah, you Very have another chance, Tim. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're not no, going to on the next topic. On the next no, topic. I was saying on the next topic. Oh, on the okay. next topic. Don't get another bite of the apple here. Okay. Uh, well, JVL, this is actually the, the, the topic you wanted to talk about. Uh, but, but we'll give Tim the first bite of the apple, which is uh, this, this ongoing theory. If you squint right and you look at it sort of upside down, that Trump's hold on the GOP is actually kind of fading. Yeah, yeah. Give me the verbal version of that look. You just give it to me. Come on, let's go. Yeah, I, mean, I see smart people doing this, unfortunately. Um, uh, so I don't, I don't, I think that there's just this deep desire within the human soul to be rid of him. Um, you know, uh, among, uh, again, putting aside the people who love him, um, which is unfortunately like 60 million people, but out of the rest of the 100 million, a couple hundred million, um, including commentators, including Republican, the Republicans who want to get back to normal, um, normal. Uh, there is a desire, a deep desire within their hearts to be done with him. And, and so, you know, they look for things that, that support that thesis. And so I just saw yesterday on Twitter, there's a YouGov poll that it says Donald Trump, 46, Ron DeSantis, 27, and a smart polling analyst. This is not, we can spend all day making fun of the National Review guys and the guys who are just wishing, hoping against hope for Ron DeSantis so they don't have to you know, so they can just wear their Ron DeSantis t-shirts and not, you know, live in shame um, for, for a 12, two-year cycle. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about a polling analyst. It was like, this seems, this looks like Trump, the, the arrow is moving down for Trump. It's like, I mean, I guess by like three points, but like it's moving up from where he was when he won in 2016. <laughs> he didn't get, he didn't get 46% in, 20, in 2016 when he won the nomination. So he's up from there. Um, he's got 122 million in the bank. Uh, you know, he's got millions and millions of built-in support group, and 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 Ron DeSantis hasn't taken a single punch yet um, from him, uh, and which he showed he was very good at. So I, you know, look, I, I don't, you know, we said this on the next level. I would, you know, if I had three genie wishes, uh, I, I would take one of them to have Ron DeSantis be the nominee and just to be rid of Trump. I, I, I won't tell you exactly what my wish will be for what happened to Trump, but I would get rid of him with one of my three genie wishes. I'd have two more that I could still use. Like I'd be happy for him to go away and for us to have to deal with Ron DeSantis's unique, you know, style of sociopathy. But um, uh, but that's just, there's just not any evidence of it right now. I mean, there's a there's a small uh, there is some evidence that there is a portion within the party. Now maybe this should be a Democratic strategic point that there's a portion within the party that could be ready to move on um but you know not a would, not a head-to-head -head type thing would you spend a genie wish to end gerrymandering i would not okay there you go uh jvl uh yeah i just think it's madness i mean trump is i think the polling basically bakes into it that he's people have in their minds essentially marked him as declared, right? So he's, he's undeclared, but not really. He's really declared, which puts him in a whole different category as DeSantis, right? DeSantis is sort of a notional stand-in for, oh, you know, something not Trump. And you look at the rest of the numbers on the polls, right? Uh, the people who are saying Don Jr. <laughs> as their choice uh, or, or Tucker, 
those people are not going to move to the DeSantis column when Don Jr. and Tucker don't run. Candace, right? Candace usually so, picks up. A yeah, couple. the Candace Owens voters. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Candace Owens voters are, are just pure anti-vax people, and those become DeSantis voters. But you look at the rest of it, and the truth is the the contingent of people who are obviously just looking for crazy still is like 60-65%. And I if if there was a weakness for Trump, you would see it in underlying attitudes about things like January 6th, right? You would see polling from Republican voters that said things like, boy, I don't like this January 6th stuff. That's 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 serious business. And you know, they might still say they liked Trump. But they would on on issues, they would be going the other way or they they really take Russia seriously. You know, they'd be like, boy, this Russia stuff is bad. Then when you look at the issues, these people are more and more aligned with him. And so the idea that they have moved on the issues, but then they're not going to be with him when he runs, I think is just crazy. Uh, The only chance of him not being the nominee is if he decides not to run. If he runs, I would bet a watch that that he's the nominee. Can I offer just one more more sentence, just in case you doubt my analysis? The the, the concentric circles, the circles, the people who told you after the New Hampshire primary in 2016 that Marco Rubio and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott were set to ride to a historic victory in South Carolina and put Donald Trump to bed, it is an entirely overlapping circle with the people who right now are saying, ooh, Donald Trump's losing, losing ground. He's losing yeah. ground. It's all yeah. the same fucking people that were with or hoping hope wish casting for Marco um, last time when he kept finishing fourth. Before we uh, before we get Will's taking the authoritarian party, JVL, I don't I don't often like to say that you're wrong, but um, there is an issue on which Trump and his base do not line up at all, and they are way out beyond him on vaccines. That's his weakness: is that he wants everyone to get the shot. I and so so here's the thing: I, I think I wrote about this. If Ron DeSantis had not gotten vaccinated and had not gotten boosted, then that would be kind of interesting because he could run <laughs> now might be like as a full real anti-vax, you know, like you could see then like, okay, would people, and he'd have to, but he'd have to go into full uh, Infowars territory where he calls Donald Trump a traitor to the, the movement and all that stuff. The problem with DeSantis is that He's this anti-vax guy who, of course, himself is all cucked up and gotten the shots. That's not going to sell. That does not work. All right, Will, what do you think? Is Trump's hold on the party slipping? Come on, Will, um, make the case. <laughs> uh, I, I don't... Let, 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 actually, let me just back up and a, a couple of points. One, Ben, about, the va- about Trump and the vaccines versus his base. Trump has already capitulated. He's already... He, I mean, think back, December 2015, Trump is in a room in South Carolina. He tries out, you know, the Muslim ban. He looks at the crowd. How is this going over? They're loving it, right? So he keeps going with that. He's, he's testing what the audience will take. He keeps going. Flip, go forward now to whatever the speech, what, what was the rally where he talked about, he, where he first talked about the vaccine? It was his event with, uh, with, with Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, there, there was... He's floated the vaccine idea, but there was I would there was some rally within the last couple of months where he where he raised it and he and the crowd did not like it at all. The crowd was booing and he backed off. So it's the Trumpers who are the problem. Trump is filling that void, right? So he's already capitulated. He's much more talking anti-mandate now than he is talking pro-vaccine. He'll say the vaccine, he he'll say it out of ego, but he's not pushing it because it didn't it didn't work as a line. So he's already capitulating from the side where he, the one point where he was rational, right? Speaking of rationality, um, this is back to Tim's point about the people who thought Marco and and, um, Nikki Haley and all that. One of my great weaknesses as a prognosticator, and I think I can speak for many of us, is like, this can't happen because it makes no sense, right? It would be stupid, it would be wrong. And that just doesn't happen, right? I mean, people do crazy irrational things. So there's, in a lot of this stuff about how Trump's gonna go away, there is, a, a hidden or unstated assumption of that this that it would be nuts to renominate Trump, nuts to vote for Trump, and so sensible people will back away, and people are just not sensible that way. So I I would discount that. And the the third thing I wanted to say was I am nostalgic. I am nostalgic for the days when I thought Trump was the problem, right? That it would because then Trump could you know drop dead, Trump could walk away, Trump could get imprisoned, whatever it would go away. 
I'm much more now at the state where I view this. This is like having some friend of yours, a woman who is like, had a, a bad boyfriend or a bad husband and you've been pleading with her to leave and she will not leave. She keeps going back to him or then she finds another bad boyfriend. And at some point you're like, I am trying to help you, but you, you, there is clearly something driving this person to be to self-destruction. And I feel this way about the American electorate now, certainly the right half of the American electorate. They're, they're, they will look for the next Trump. And as we've been discussing, there is an asymmetry. These people are intense. They are devoted. They are willing to take whatever is handed to them as a party line. Uh, they just want their resentments addressed. They want to feel that they hate the right people. And as long as that is true, they are going to find another Trump. You know, well, it's funny. Give in to the hate, young Jedi. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because right now, as we've been speaking, the Republican National Committee at its winter meeting unanimously approved the censure of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Unanimously. Just like in North Korea. It was a downgrade, though. It was a big, that was big. I, I was seeing that spin earlier on Twitter. It was like they were initially going to something more than a censure, an uber censure. They were going to kind of, call the House Republican Conference to kick them out. To expel them from the which conference. Which, in right? theory, so could still happen. They've downgraded that to the, to the censure. Yeah, I don't. I, I'll, I'll just. I'm going to give a one sentence objection. I don't really disagree with Will in that, like the girlfriend does have a problem in this case. Um, boyfriend interchangeable here. I have plenty of I have plenty of male friends who've been in this situation. The boyfriend is the problem, uh, but also like Trump is has some unique uh, uh, pathologies. I guess let's just say um, and a unique level of shamelessness that I do. I think that he makes him. That, that, that makes him, I think, especially dangerous um, versus some of these other people. Um, so I just, I, I, I just would toss that out there. But um, I, I don't have much to say about the RNC. I do, I do, it's nice that it was unanimous, you know, because I hear from some of these, there are a handful of good ones still um, that I talk to from time to time and uh, tell me what I want to hear. Uh, and so it's nice to know that they, uh, that they, didn't raise their hand in, in opposition. I, I think that probably, I could already but tell what you. What about Joe Biden? We got it down to the, no, that was a big, Tim, Tim, they were going to try to kick him off the committee. I mean, you should look at, I was the one that saved him, Tim. I mean, I, I was the one that got it down to a censure. But, 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 but Tim, if it wasn't for me here, you would have someone taking the wrong votes. <laughs> exactly. You would have someone taking these votes and meaning yeah. The guy right. that uh, I, the guy that tried to seize the voting machines didn't get censured, though. Is there any is there any news on that? I, I did not. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't see that come through. Actually, believe it or not. Okay, uh, here's a little fun thing we haven't done before. Uh, I have two topics left on my chart, but I think if we're going to do uh, Will's time in the hot seat at the very end, we only have time for one. So I'm going to let the chat decide. Chat, get ready to vote. Do you want us to talk about? Omicron and whether we see a light at the end of the tunnel or the Olympics in China. Rob just says no, 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 just a lot of no's. Omicron, Olympics. Uh, why do we have to choose? Wow. Why do we have to choose two words to start with? O? Olympics. This is clearly Olympics. Okay. All right. Clear winner. If you say so. We should have chosen a word that Nobody wants to hear my o. opinion on Omicron anymore, which is what, ha is what ha I can tell you exactly what's happening. Um, Olympics is great. I want to hear, I, I want to go last. Olympics. Does anyone I hear the other gentleman? Does anyone know where Peng Shui is at this moment? No. Okay. Uh, Will, do you want to start us off with your uh, China Olympics take? Oh, hell, I don't have a China Olympics take. I'll have to think of one. I, okay, I JBL, I'm... you start us off with your China Olympics take. I think this is your request. <laughs> yeah, Will, Will, we're going to be the neocons here. I'm just going to let you know. Uh, we still have it a little bit in our bones, so that's what's coming. So you might want to prepare a counter. Um, uh, or not. Or agree. We can unite in freedom. Whatever whatever you decide. Don't Don't feel pressure. JVL. So the Chinese have, over the last four years, undertaken real deal actual genocide. They have instituted a program of computer-assisted surveillance that is unlike anything that has ever been developed in human history. They have been openly threatening to invade Taiwan and trying to bully Taiwan. They have reneged on all of their agreements in Hong Kong. Uh, they are among the worst human rights abusers in the world. And just before the Olympics, they essentially disappeared a professional athlete. If that does not, if that is not sufficient 
for the West to say, we are not going to participate in this, then my question is, what would be sufficient? So what, what is the set of conditions then? Uh, what is the thing that China could have done over the last six months or year, which would have then uh, made it wise and helpful for the West to pull out? Invaded Mongolia. The yeah, last time that, we so out. so the incursions into India, where they're like killing Indian border guards, uh, that would not. I mean, no, I mean that's the thing that's happened. The reason I said is that the last time we boycotted an Olympics, it was uh, 1980 when the Olympics were in Moscow, and yeah. uh, we boycotted because the Soviets had invaded Afghanistan. So that's where the bar has been set. Is that you know. You have to, we went to the 36 Olympics in, in Berlin, but when you invade another country, we'll, we'll boycott. And then they boycotted to return the following Olympics. So that's where the bar is set. I'm not saying it's the right bar, but genocide is okay as long as you keep it, you know, keep it in the house. Wow. Uh, I don't have much to add from JBL. There's absolutely no reason we should be there. I've been saying this for months. Uh, uh, I think that it would have been a, some nice jingoism from the Biden administration to pull out. Uh, and I don't think that we should be there. And when was the last Beijing Olympics? I, I feel like they just had one. In, yeah, like they yeah, just it was, had it was one. like yesterday. Why, why are they getting one again? Okay, so Who this is like they're, you know, yeah, exactly. So uh, the West needs to flex their muscles in these sorts of situations. It's the same thing. We also shouldn't have gone to the World Cup and cut her, by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, eventually we got to start drawing a line. So there'll be no lines. And what, what this does is it plays into, you know, allowing the disinformation that's coming from China. It's coming from within the house and uh, on the right now on primetime Fox. It's coming from, it's very disturbing if you get onto left-wing TikTok, what you see uh, from some of the far-left youths, uh, you know, all come together and be like, well, I mean, China, what's the difference? Uh, you know, police shootings happen in America. America is also not great. And so you get into this business um, and, and this allows for, you know, the mudding of the waters and all that. So That's what I, don't really think think. I don't think we should have gone. I like the Olympics. I think that... I'm going to keep my last thought to myself. We shouldn't have gone. Okay, I want to hear that one off air. Uh, Will, anything to add on the Olympics? I, you know, I mean, whether to go is, to me, it's a practical question. I have a bias for, you know, what used to be called constructive engagement, but China has not been a particularly fruitful <laughs> example of, of that working. So my bias is up against evidence in this case. Um, it, it, I'll just make one observation. It's super interesting to me coming from, a more progressive background than you guys to just hear this conversation. And this struck me when I was listening to all those Thursday Night Bulwarks. There was one that was like all about Taiwan. Uh, ben, you were running it and, and there was a guest and there were, I, Bill was there and I forget. And, and I thought this, this conversation would never happen among my progressive friends. It's just not like, the, the, there isn't the same interest in human rights around the world. I mean, there is in some quarters of the, like there are some people on the left who really care about, you know, human rights and, uh, 3,000 miles away, but uh, but by and large, it's a domestic conversation. So it's just interesting to hear m these principles of morality extended to discussion of other countries. That just makes my heart swell with pride. You just made my week. Thank you. Uh, okay, I will say this. Uh, I, will I, say sad, I will say sadly, nobody's clicking on any of the articles, so we need to make people listen on Thursday Night because <laughs> Ben uh, has just been slaving over Ukraine article after Ukraine article that gets 12 clicks. I will say, so they're all very good. You should go over them. I saw a couple good. people. The one by the, the woman who was, who's living here, what was her name? Natalia you Antonova. Have, you just read one. What was, what was the headline on that one? It was so good. Uh, the Ghosts of Kiev something, something. I forget the headline because really I think it's fantastic. Adam, but so good. Such a good piece. Yeah, Natalia, if you're watching, excellent. Uh, there was, I saw a couple people asking about Russia, Ukraine stuff in the chat. We did publish a piece by Joe Webster about the, the we, you mentioned a lot of things, but uh, one of them was the sort of weird effect on the Ukraine timeline that the Beijing Olympics could have. For those of you who remember 2008, it was right, I think at the same yep. time they were doing the Georgia. open ceremonies, the Russians started the Russo-Georgian War and invaded Georgia, and that did not make Beijing happy. So now one of the theories is the Russians are holding off until after the Chinese get their whole Olympics bump and stuff before invading another country again. Uh, so 
That's by Joe Webster on the Bulwark. Uh, very interesting stuff. Yes, please go click on it. And now we're gonna get to your questions for Will. I'm just gonna go scroll through, look at these now. Uh, let's see. Well, let's I'm, 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 I'm asking the first one. Will, what is what issue are you the furthest the left on? Where are you the most commie? And where do you have the most sympathies with George H.W. Bush? With George H.W. Bush. <laughs> uh, immigration for, for George, for, for, for W. I, I just remember him fondly as the last Republican president who was pro-immigration. And I, I, I miss that. I miss that whole strand of the Republican Party. Um, the issue where, the, I'll just tell you the issue where I thought to myself, I'm going to have the most difficulty sort of having a conversation with bulwark people. Not all, not all bulwark people, but some people. Abortion. I'm like, when I, you know, like what, what are the two things that I have the most problems talking about with friends on the right, or I mean, even center right? One is, I think abortion should be legal. And the other one is that I love Barack Obama and they tend not to. So <laughs> those are, so I'm looking forward. I mean, I'm, I believe the Supreme Court's going to overturn Roe v. Wade and we'll be talking about abortion and that'll be an interesting conversation. I will say Absolutely. just really quick, one thing that I observed in another project I'm working on from, about never Trumpers is the views towards Obama. This was one trend line I saw. Among, among those of us who went never Trump, were not everybody, obviously there are a couple of a couple people who don't fit this. We're kind of like dislike, but like, he seems like a good dad and a nice guy. And like, I would like to hang out and have dinner with him. And we disagree on some things. He might be a little like his competence might be just okay, but like overall would have been fine. Uh, we were fine, he was fine. Uh, and and, and I, I was surprised to, to like learn about like the cruel, the like loathing hatred. Oh, he's condescending. He's, he's an asshole. Like I hate him from people that got sort of sucked into Trump world. It was an interesting like fissure line that I didn't kind of expect. I'm sorry, you're surprised by that? Well, no, no, no it makes sense in retrospect. <laughs> it makes sense. But I, I, guess it, I guess my point is when I was living with all these people, it didn't Black seem like- Black guy becomes we were... president. And all of a sudden we have people who care about the constitution. I'm gonna carry so it around in my pocket. So else right. I, it was obvious in retrospect. I found it interesting, I, though. I did, and actually, I think Barack Obama has been a much better ex-president than I expected, to be honest. I think he's been sort of actually very responsible and in some ways very noble. Um, I did think that he was sort of overly condescending and had a tendency to talk down to people. And then the American people picked Donald Trump, and I thought, no, he was right. <laughs> they needed to be talked down to. Anyway, I'm sorry. This is Will's moment. Uh, okay, Will. Uh, this question is from Andrew. Uh, how important, so this is not quite our, is it the people, is it the leaders? Which is more, uh, which plays a bigger role in our political culture? Is it what uh, Andrew is called party propaganda or we can you know, substitute ever any sort of part, uh, propaganda you think? Or uh, is it our political leaders? Which one of those, or sorry, the political process is the question. Which is, if you could get rid of one, either A, change sort of our political structure, or B, somehow get rid of partisan propaganda, which would you do? Well, I, I mean, I don't think the I don't think it's possible to get rid of the propaganda. Here's where I'll go with sort of the American founders. Like, I want to take a pessimistic view of human nature and design institutions that limit the damage. Limit the, this is a, this is an opportunity to say my general outlook. Uh, I I'm I call would call myself a negativist. Like, I want institutions that negate. Uh, I, I like gridlock. I like checks and balances. I'm sure, and, and I'm looking forward to all of the educated bulwark people explaining to me what this was, what this is properly called. Maybe to some people it is conservatism, maybe it's some other term, but the the idea of negating institutions. So I would I would focus on designing processes that limit the ability of demagogues with their propaganda to manipulate the to manipulate results. It's kind of Berkey, isn't it? Uh, yeah, somewhat, somewhat, but I, I feel like it's more Madison. It could be, it could be Madison. Okay, uh, that's actually a question for Tim. Uh, Mikey asks, and actually JVL, I want your answer to this too, because I think I know it. How do you maintain hope that we will preserve a stable democracy, assuming you do? Sorry, how do I think it? Or how, does how do you maintain hope that we will preserve a stable democracy? I think, well, first of all, we're still here and we've been through a lot, 
right? And we've been through um, authoritarian phases, right? We 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 treated the 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 uh, African people who were who were uh, dragged to the United States and enslaved in authoritarianism for, you know, a couple centuries. We, we've we have had periods that have been really bad. We've had internment, uh, and we've come, we've worked our way through it. So we've had we've gotten better in a lot of ways. So that gives me some hope. We have a history of this stuff. We've done some bad stuff, and we've we've corrected it. Um, and we may just have be in a new phase that we have to correct, but we've done it before. So I believe we can do it again. All right. I actually like that so much that JVL, I'm not going to let you ruin it. And I'm not going to let you answer that question. Uh, okay. Uh, here's a good one. I really like this uh, from a guy whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, what was the most impactful story you wrote for Slate or your favorite, if you know, you can't measure impact? Um, the, the one that comes to mind, I don't know, I think it's the most impactful, but it's the one that uh, led to me being here, which was a year ago after January 6th. Um, it was an idea that I had, and actually, it, the, the, the piece basically argued that we need a coalition of people who care about facts, right? We're not, it's left, it's right, we can have different beliefs, but we're going to settle our disputes with evidence. We're going to respect evidence. And if someone comes to you with evidence that you're wrong, you're going to say, okay, clearly I was wrong. That is, an, that is a culture. I believe that is a culture. That's not like a given. You need a culture with, and, and believe me, you can see around you people who don't listen to evidence. If we will listen to evidence, the evidence will allow us to work out our differences. And so that's a piece I wrote. It's a piece that a person well to my left, who was then the political editor of Slate, Tom Skoka wanted me to write. I'm glad he did. And, uh, and one of the things I said in there is we need a coalition that crosses the line from places like Slate to the bulwark all the way to National Review. And, uh, and I thought about that a lot in the process of deciding to come here. This is a decision to come to a place that is in the middle of the political spectrum and in a, in a sort of it's expanding the, the middle of the political spectrum to work on that challenge because I wanna build that kind of a coalition. That's great. Uh, this is from Alan. What do you think the time horizon is on the mess we're in once Trump does go, I guess one way or another? Um, the way I'm interpreting this is, do we have sort of a 10 year political problem? Do we have a hundred year political problem? Do we have an existential, like we are in the terminal phase of end of the Republic political problem? Uh, I, it could be really, really long. I mean, here's one where I would look to the historians and I would look to history and I would say, you know, let's go back to slavery and Jim Crow, the authoritarianism of segregation and how long did it take us to work our way through that, right? Now, this is, this is different in many ways, but it can take a really, it can take decades to work your way out of, out of a sickness like this. Uh, that's my bet. And that's the optimistic scenario. The pessimistic one is we don't get there. Yeah. Oh, JVL likes Can I that offer one. an optimistic scenario is that it's like more like the 70s. Like the political violence, you know, following the Civil Rights Act, right? So like the late 60s into the 70s. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not offering that as my prediction, but I'm just saying if you look at history, like not the most recent, you know, upheaval similar to this political, like didn't like only lasted like 10 years, really from like the mid sixties to the mid mid seventies. And like the violence, you know, part of it had, had petered out. That's All right, fingers crossed. There. All right, last question before we let these good people get on with their night. The most important question, there is a right answer. Points will be deducted for getting it wrong. Anonymous attendee asks, who is your favorite Bulwark member? I, I can't, you, you guys who, I've got two kids. Some of you got several kids. How do you, how do you get answered this question? You can't. Uh, we all have favorite kids, Will. JL has a kid who calls favorite. <laughs> my, my answer is, I love you guys. Okay, well, if he's not going to no, answer the, that one, I was The right answer is Mona. I, I was, <laughs> the right I was, answer is Mona. The right Everybody is loves me. Mona um, the most. I'm the most likely. The right answer but, is the one who signs the checks, people. The, I mean, come yeah, on. Come on. The right answer, uh, uh, we can all debate. Thank you to Catherine, who answered correctly in the chat. Hi, Catherine. Uh, if he's not going to answer that, I was interested in the question from A. Roy. I didn't know that Avic Roy was a member of the Bulwark Plus. Welcome, Avic. Uh, he said, Will, what games slash video games do you play? <laughs> do you have a preferred genre of video game? I was, I was intrigued. That was the one that most intrigued me. 
Oh man, it's been so long since I played a video game. I'm I, I I'm a word game person, and I'm a strong. I have a strong because there are so many word games floating around. I have to tell you, like the people playing Wordle. Wordle is such an inferior game. The New York Times spelling bee is better than that. The best game, actually, Swordle is better than Wordle. For those of you who are not familiar, four letter words, foul words. The best game is Spell Tower. It's a game that's on an on iPad. It's not even being updated anymore. It's fantastic. Everyone should go out and get Spell Tower. And now I've addicted you to something worse than crack. And with that, we will let you go and enjoy your night. Uh, oh, hi, to Bye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us. The mass Singer. She's replacing Rudy Giuliani. <laughs>